As I was getting ready for this week, I was thinking about uh, why do we do this, right? Why, why do we do this? We, we get ready, we come for Easter, there's, you know, egg hunts and Good Friday services and um, family gets together and you have brunch and you do all kinds of things. And, and why, why is this a special day? Why this one? Why not some other day? And so I started thinking about, okay, what, what, are we, what are we doing? We celebrate Easter. We're remembering Easter, right? We're remembering Resurrection Sunday. Why, why do we do that? Why do we, re, we remember anything? Why do we celebrate anything? We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate uh, major milestones or, or life events. We, we set things up and we commemorate those and remember those things. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, the, the reason that we do that is to acknowledge how important it is. By, by setting up some sort of remembrance, ongoing calendared item, we are saying to ourselves, this is an important thing for me. And Easter Sunday is an important Sunday. It's the Sunday that we remember the resurrection of Jesus. And so it seems appropriate to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's, he's telling them lots of different things, but he's, he's telling them, I want to remind you this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And I feel like this is the essence of why we're here today. We're here today so that we can remember the gospel that was preached to us. The gospel that was proclaimed to us. We at some point heard the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. And now we're here to acknowledge this is a high point in our year to remember that. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. It's something that, it's a a good news, a word of hope that we have received and heard. In which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And I just want to take a moment and look at this and say, the gospel for a Christian is something that you have heard and received and accepted, and now that you're holding on to and clinging to it. It's a good news, it's a piece of hope that you're hanging on to and don't want to let that go. Sometimes I think that we think of um, the gospel or the, the good news as something that we did hear. And we did believe and we were saved. Right? That's something that we did do. Oh yes, I believed that. As a kid, I believed that. I was in Sunday school. I can remember the first time I heard it. The Sunday school teacher was explaining to me, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Because if you don't ask Jesus into your heart, you're going to go to hell. And that sounded really scary as a kid. And so I said, yes, I believe. And they said, pray this prayer, and they said the words, and then I said the words, and everybody said the words, and we prayed it, and I believed it, and so I was saved ever since. 
as though it was something that happened back there. There was some sort of magic incantation of words that came out of my mouth that saved me back then, and now that just seems to be the case still. Rather than the good news that Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again from the dead, and that is the good news that I cling to and have clinged to ever since I first heard it and received it and accepted it from me. It's kind of like if we were in a pit, right? Let's say we were going for a walk. We're going for a walk in the woods. I'll, I'll, I'll take the fall for us, okay? <laughs> Don't. We're going for a walk in the woods, and I don't notice the pit that's there in front of me. And so as we're walking along, you suddenly stop, and I fall right into that pit. And I'm looking up from within the pit, and I realize I cannot get out of this pit. This pit is too deep, it's too steep, it's too big, I cannot get out of this pit. And so I'm calling, hey, help! And you, being so kind and wonderful, and thoughtful, and prepared, I might add, happen to have a rope with you. (laughs) I am so appreciative of you right now. Because as I'm laying at the bottom of this pit, looking up and realizing there's no way I can get out of this pit, and I'm going, help! You lower the rope down. And as soon as I see that rope and grab hold of it, I am being saved. I am in the process of being saved. I'm not yet out of the pit. But I am being saved and I'm hanging on to that rope. And I'm going to hang on to that rope all the way until you, with your might, pull me to the top. And I'm really appreciative of both how prepared and how strong you are. (laughs) And I'm going to hang on to that rope and you are going to pull me to the top. And that is my good news. My good news is that though I am in the bottom of this pit, there is a rope and you are pulling on it. And as long as I'm hanging on to this rope, I am being saved. And that's what he's saying here. I would remind you, brothers, don't forget about this, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Cling to it. Hang on to it. First, you have to accept it and receive it as yours. And then second, you have to hang on to that thing and never let it go. And that's why we celebrate, right? We celebrate every year at Easter time. The resurrection of Jesus because it reminds us of the good news. We celebrate that every week, every Sunday. We worship on Sundays the first day of the week because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And it reminds us every single week. And that's just the times that we get together and celebrate together. We can remind ourselves every single day. And what are we reminding ourselves of? Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul says, I'm, I passed along this word that I had received. I'm now passing it on to you. This isn't the first time I've said it to you, but I'm telling you, this is the most important thing I have passed on to you. 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then He appeared. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures, these things happened. Not just that we have the Bible written for us that tells us that these things happened to Jesus, but even before that, through the Old Testament writings, there was an expectation of what would happen. And as I was reading through this this week, this is going to sound really lame coming from a pastor on Holy Week, Easter Sunday. But I was reading through this and going, this just doesn't seem very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus died, he was raised. Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised. In accordance with the scripture, I know this stuff, I know this stuff. And so I started going back and reading according to the scriptures. And so I'm going to take the majority of our time this morning to read to you some of the stuff I read. I I can't read all of it because it'd be overwhelming to you and to me. But let me just go back and start with King David in Psalm chapter 22. I could have gone to a lot of places. We could go to Isaiah 51, 52, 53. We could go to Psalm 69. We could go lots of places. But I've chosen to, to take us to Psalm 22. And listen to this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. 
O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him. All you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And He has not hidden His face from Him, but He has heard when He cried to Him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingship belongs to the Lord and He rules over all the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship before Him. And shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. This was written way, way before Jesus. but describes the scene in John 19. In John 19, Jesus has been taken by the religious leaders. They've they've brought Him to Pilate and they've said, we don't want this man. We want you to get rid of this man. We want you to kill him. And Pilate said, "I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Why would I do that? Why, why should I do that? And they said, no, just kill him. Just kill him. We hate him. Just kill him. In John chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See? I'm bringing him out so that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement. And in Aramaic, Gabbatha. 
Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and they went out. And bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with the two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was right near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the writing of the Apostle John. The beloved disciple who was standing there watching this whole thing. He's writing this down. He wrote it down so that we could read it. So that his disciples could read it. And they could see this is what John experienced. It was to fulfill the scriptures. And John was witness to this and he watched it happen. Jesus being betrayed in a way that was mind-boggling. What's going on? How could they do this? The way they treated Him, the way they mocked Him, the way they dragged Him just barely outside the city and hung Him on a cross. The way Jesus hung there and said, it is finished and died. And since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken so that they may be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. 
But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, in another scripture, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave, it, gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of the preparation, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. It wasn't far away. Everybody knew. Everybody knew where it was. What had happened. They'd seen the whole thing take place. John is writing it down. You can read the same accounts in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And in Luke where it talks about how the stone was sealed over the entrance of the tomb so that nobody could get in there and guards were posted because they feared that somebody would come and take the body. And here John is writing it all down and saying this is what happened. And in chapter 20, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet he did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her woman why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, 
to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And on evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. That's the account of John, the disciple, the one who was there, the one who witnessed it. And the reason that I take so much time to read it to you is because I feel like the impact of the story has greater impact than Jesus died and was buried and rose again from the dead. Because I can just say that, right? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead? Yeah. But if I just walk up to somebody on the street... And say, did you know you're in a deep pit? Because you have sin that cannot be forgiven without the saving work of Jesus. And let me tell you that Jesus died and rose again from the dead that you might be saved. Can you grab hold of this? That you might be saved? What are you talking about? That doesn't happen. People don't die and rise again from the dead. That doesn't make any sense. How would that affect me? Jesus died and rose again from the dead that I might be saved? It's ridiculous. But John writes down the whole account and says, no, 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 it's not ridiculous. It seems very strange because people don't rise from the dead, but we were there and we saw it. We watched the whole thing happen and I wrote it down so that you would have a first-hand account so that you might understand and believe the things that we didn't believe until they happened right in front of us. Because I was there and I watched him die. In fact, he asked me to take care of his mom when he died. 
And so I have. And they, they took down his body and they buried him in the tomb and we all knew where it was. And they guarded it so that nobody could mess with it. And the next day the ladies went to go open it and they couldn't open it because it was already opened. And they came and they told us and then we ran. Peter and I, we ran so fast, I ran even faster than him. And I looked in there, but I didn't dare go in by myself. And I just looked in there and Jesus wasn't there. But Peter, he went charging right in. And so I followed him and I looked and sure enough, no Jesus in there. And I believed that he was gone, but I didn't know what had happened. Because we didn't understand yet. And we went home and we talked about it and we went, what's going on? Here, the greatest teacher we've ever known, the one who has been closer to God than anybody we've ever known, who's done great miracles and things, he's dead and now he's gone and we don't know what's going on. And then we started reading the scriptures and thinking about the things that Jesus told us and suddenly there was Jesus among us. And he told us to have peace, but that was hard, I'll tell you. And we were all there, well, all of us except for Thomas. And so we talked with Thomas about it afterwards and we said, it's the craziest thing, Jesus is alive, we just saw him, he told us and he showed us everything. And Thomas goes, you're out of your minds. Unless I see the holes, I'm not going to believe. I'm going to have to see him and feel him physically. I don't believe any of you. You're all nuts. Funny thing, a couple days later, Jesus was there again and Thomas saw him. And then Thomas believed. And I'm writing this down so that you can believe too. Because I know it sounds crazy. And these things never happened, but it did. And we saw it and we know it. Just as the scriptures said. And now Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and we're receiving this letter from Paul too. And he says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, some of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the disciples, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. Paul says, oh man. I'm writing to remind you of this good news and the validity of it. Jesus appeared to His disciples. He appeared to those ladies. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to all the disciples. He appeared to 500 people at one time. And then He appeared to me. And that was different. That was different for a couple of reasons. One, it happened a little while later. You don't read about this until Acts 9, and I'm not going to dive into that now, but read it at home. Because the thing that's different about Paul is that Paul hated Jesus. Paul hated the disciples. Paul hated the church. 
He approved when the disciples were killed. Yep, that's right. Get rid of him. Because the disciples were all talking about Jesus and how he'd been raised from the dead. And Paul was going, no, 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 stop, stop. And so Paul's on his way to put an end to the church once and for all so that they can't preach this gospel anymore. And on the way, he experiences Jesus. The greatest enemy of the church. The greatest enemy of Jesus. And Jesus appears to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul goes, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. And Paul's writing now to this church at Corinth going, I know it sounds crazy. But it's true. I know people don't rise from the dead, but Jesus did. There are eyewitness accounts And even though it's a weird one, me too. Then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 12. And says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. If we are down in the bottom of that pit and there's no rope, We can reach up and grab onto that imaginary thing and hang onto it all we want, but we're never going to get pulled to the top. There has to be a rope for us to get pulled to the top. That rope is the death and resurrection of Jesus. We've got to cling to that. Some of you may be thinking about this for the very first time and you need to grab hold of that rope. Nothing else is going to get you out of that pit. There is no other hope. Some of you grabbed hold of that rope a long time ago, but you haven't thought about it in a while. Cling to that rope. Hang on to that rope. Remember it this year. Remember it next week. Remember it every day. Remember that Jesus died for your sins and rose again from the dead. Remember that when He rose again from the dead, He conquered sin so that your sin can be removed. Remember that when He rose again from the dead, He conquered death and said, you've got no hold on me. 
So we have the expectation that when we are dead, we too will be raised with Him. Remember that when He was resurrected, it gives us a glorious hope for the future. And so we are going to cling to that rope today and tomorrow and every day because we have no other hope but Him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we stand in awe and in wonder because of what You have done. We look at the futility of our lives. That we cannot reach, achieve, obtain eternal life on our own. And Lord, though it sounds strange to our minds, we believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And that when He did that, it saved us from our sin and we have a glorious expectation that we also will be raised with Him. Lord, we thank You that there is reason to believe that. We thank You that it is true. That our belief is not in vain. And now we celebrate in the name of Jesus our Lord and our Savior, how wonderful you are. Amen.